Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, it's been a hot minute since we've done this. Um, lots has happened in the sports world. Uh, we have lots of stuff to talk about, but more like conceptual stuff and idea stuff, which I think is my favorite type of sports conversation to have because... By this point in the NFL year, and it's embarrassing to say it because I'm such a football person, like I'm a little bit bored and I kind of don't care. Um, and I, I tend to be that way about a lot of things, but but there are a lot of interesting conceptual things happening in sports and things I want to run by you. So we'll get into all of that pipe right after this quick break. Life Audio presents Bridges with Monica Schmelter. That we have an enduring hope that can't be taken away when we are in Christ. And to know that we have that, right? and eternal salvation, because this world can be so busy and so dark that we can forget that, right? Right? Because sometimes I get caught in the trappings of what's going on in my life this moment, and while I have to recognize that, that's not it. Continue listening on lifeaudio.com or wherever you find your podcast. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. All right, we're back. Um, Pipe, one of my favorite college football coaches, Mike Leach, uh, passed away yesterday. And I want to ask you some Mike Leach questions because I, I really admired him from afar. I never got a chance to meet him, but... I really enjoyed studying the air raid. And when he was at Washington State, he was kind of my my night game coach for a while. Like I would I would dial up that ESPN game at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock and watch a quarter and a half of it and just enjoy him and enjoy his offenses. And it seemed to me, and I want to hear you on this, that most college football coaches were miserable people. And by that, I mean they had this rictus of like misery etched onto their faces at all times. Uh, every, every press conference was like an exercise in presidential seriousness. And Mike Leach stood out in like sharp contrast to that in that he seemed to have perspective, which nobody in, pers- nobody in sports has any perspective. <laughs> like youth sports... High school sports, college sports, pro sports, like That's literally no depressingly accurate. Yes, like no one has any perspective on this stuff. And yet Mike Leach was like I mean, of course he was coaching hard and he was coaching to win and he was innovative and one of the best in the business, but he seemed to understand at like an innate level that it didn't matter if Washington State beat Arizona, you know, and it allowed him to have fun with a game, which is a thing that you're supposed to do, but no one does. Um, what are your thoughts on Mike Leach? 
Yeah, I so I mean, obviously I came I got familiar with him to some degree when he was at uh Texas Tech and mm-hmm. which was, you know, so it was kind of more of the heyday of the Big Twelve. Um, you know, yeah. a lot of competitive teams there, and Texas Tech was always a bit of a doormat. And then all of a sudden there were these teams that were putting up fifty points a game. They couldn't stop anybody, but that's because they yeah. you know, they couldn't recruit the talent. But he figured right. out an offense to to put up 50 points a game and it looked like no other offense. So he was, yeah, he was in one of those way ahead of his time innovators, a little bit like Hal mummy back in the day at like mm-hmm. Kentucky and, and wherever Kentucky. it was at SMU maybe. And, uh, and it was, it was fun to watch. And like, they didn't put very many good players into the pros. So it wasn't, right. it wasn't one of those, which is part of what made it fascinating. And so I have to imagine, like, if, if you're a Division One football player and you play at Texas Tech, like, that, those aren't bragging rights. But if you played yeah. on a Mike Leach offense, you kind of, you kind of earned bragging rights because you were one of the most innovative, explosive offenses. You were putting up 50 points on Texas and, and A&M and Oklahoma and all these teams. And, and then, and this was that I, so I got familiar with him kind of before coach personality was a thing anybody paid attention to. Because right. at that point it was right. like, there's, there's a robot on the sideline who is designing plays. Do they do a good job or not? Yeah. Then, yeah, for sure. Then YouTube kind of blossomed and there are these clips of him <laughs> yeah. being quirky and eccentric, except what that really yeah. means is human and having a personality. And, <laughs> yes, exactly. And, you know, being interested in something other than uh, scouting and schematics and recruiting. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, yeah, I mean, for a while, I I remember I had a negative impression of him because I'm like, Oh, the weirdo at Texas tech. And then as I grew up, I was like, Oh, he just, he's a, he's a dude who likes people and has interests and thinks about things outside of football, but also is kind of a mad scientist. So I, yeah. I ended up becoming a great enjoyer. I wouldn't say like a fan. I didn't follow his career closely, but in the in this sort of monolithic, angry, high pressure world of of college football, he was a delight. Oh, I agree. Yeah, those press conferences were like pop art installations. Like he would he would do these discursive things on like candy and and you know marital advice and the whole thing and. uh he gave us Gardner Minshew, which was amazing. Like ninety nine point nine percent of coaches would have like shut down the whole, you know, jean shorts, tank top, ironic mustache thing, but he he embraced it and uh he just seemed like a fun guy to coach under, a fun guy to play for. Yeah, and those offenses. So the air raid was sort of the lineal child of the run and shoot in the eighties, which was also a fun offense, but um, Leach kind of hatched it at, he was coaching at Iowa Wesleyan where he had no good players. And he basically was like, if I use all 52 yards worth of width of the field and I just have my receivers run to like open grass, we can move the football. Um, cause he had really nobody that could, that could throw. He didn't have fast explosive talent on the edges. And I'm fascinated by like football adapters, like the guy at Georgia Tech was fascinating to me. He was there. He ran the triple option for Paul years. Paul Johnson, was that his name? Paul Johnson. Yeah, yeah. You know, very ordinary looking guy, very ordinary name. And, you know, he was at this school where like, you know, the freshmen have to take trigonometry or whatever because it's a, it's a brainy engineering school. And 
yeah, he couldn't recruit all the five star studs in the deep south, so he had to figure out a way to 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 do it. And Leach was kind of the same way, and I always enjoy people like that. So let me let me ask you this. Um, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately due to something that I'm reading. What what sports deaths have like hit you the hardest? Because I was I was truly bummed out about Mike Leach kind of all day yesterday because I, I didn't realize how much I enjoyed and appreciated him. Yeah. And I just enjoyed him being in college football. And I especially enjoyed him being kind of close by here at Mississippi State. And the plan was always, I got to get down there and meet him somehow. And um, And now he's gone. So like... What are some sports deaths that have like hit you at a personal level? Yeah, it's for me, they're, they're largely close to home. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. close to my home team. So being a Minnesota fan, so Kirby Puckett is the one that, that hit hardest, uh, for me. Cause yeah. he was, and he, you know, we've talked about this, like for you and Walter Payton, there's just sort of like that childhood yeah. heroic status of this beloved athlete in a city that you grew up in or near. Um, but a few years ago when Flip Saunders passed away from cancer. Yeah. And that was um that was unexpected. Like we we knew he was battling cancer and then he just took a quick he took a quick his health took a quick downturn and it and it was sudden. <clears throat> and that was that one caught me off guard because he's a coach, because he was he was a good coach, but not like a not like an amazing coach, but what he was was a coach of the Timberwolves when they went from utter disaster to respectable during the Kevin Garnett era. He took them as far as any team. Yeah. He came back to the franchise franchise after they they went, you know, back in the tank post KG and kind mm-hmm. of re-resurrected them to stability. He was just sort of like he was the dad in the room and yeah. uh really just connected well with Minnesota fans and media and and so like they did a uh, they did a, a kind of a memorial to him before a Timberwolves game that I live streamed from my apartment in Tennessee after I moved here and like I was in tears mm. watching it and uh, yeah. which it, which again it was I was like I did not expect this from from that so those are the two that come to mind off the top of my head I'm sure there are a couple others but yeah. those those are the main ones yeah dude for me obviously I've talked about. Walter Payton on here before and that one hit me hard but um there was this boxer in the 90s that I really liked named Tommy Morrison do you remember this guy I, he was a white heavyweight I do I don't I, I didn't follow him closely but I remember who he was yeah I watched a lot of boxing kind of as a teenager and as a young adult and Morrison you know he was this great looking like broad-shouldered like made in a lab type of white heavyweight and he had a big left hook and he was in Rocky 5 which is a terrible movie but he was kind of decent in it, and I enjoyed watching him. He was always on like Friday night fights on on ESPN, you know. So I I could watch him on like normal non pay per view television, and he seemed cool. Like he he was always kind of a like a maniac outside the ring, you know. Like he lived fast, and you know you didn't want to emulate his lifestyle, but he seemed really likable. And then I got a chance to interview him. Uh, for facing Tyson. So this would have been like 2004, 2005, somewhere around then. And, um, and then he died shortly after that he had, he had AIDS and, um, he, he died of it, you know, kind of pretty close after I interviewed him. And, um, I'm reading this book about him right now and it's fascinating 
And one of those guys, one of those stories, you read it and you just go, I wish someone could have shared Christ with this person. And I know God's sovereign and, and all the right answers and stuff. And, and sometimes I'll encounter someone like that, like an athlete or a public figure. And I'll just think, man, I wish I could share Christ with this person because yeah. they, they, they need Jesus more than any other single thing. And, uh, and then when they die, I felt the same way about David Foster Wallace, you know, like, and I, and I sensed in him, there was, there was this curiosity about faith in him and then he died and and uh it bummed me out um sorry that was my phone ringing and the the person hung up so we're good um, <laughs> the person was hanged up yeah yeah exactly but um pipe let's take a break and then when we come back i want to talk about a couple of weird sports things that we're that we're both in on uh they're different things but we're both in mm-hmm. uh we'll be back after this break this This is my skyship dreamer. My cargo is stories. And our destination, dreams. With Abide Sleep Stories for Kids, you can help your children fall asleep fast and learn about God. To find these kids' bedtime stories, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Stories for Kids. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com. All right, Piper, somewhat incongruously, I'm in on the NBA this year uh, in that I've been out on it for a few years and I'm back and I'm really enjoying it. Um, I got League Pass. I'm watching a lot of League Pass late at night. Um, it's kind of my my wind down thing right at the very end. And uh, I'm in. Where are you at in the NBA this year? Um, so, I, I mean, I always I always kind of keep an eye on it, follow it. Uh, it tends to be a invest deeply post NFL season for me. This yeah. this year is an odd one because the uh, you know my investment in the NFL is a little bit. It's a little bit more because the Vikings are winning. Granted, I don't think they're yeah. any good, but uh, right, I think they're a, they're a mediocre team who is somehow winning a bunch of games. And the Timberwolves, who made a huge move in the offseason, got Rudy Gobert, were supposed to be really good, are now very mediocre. They're like a 500 team. They're lackadaisical. They're not fun to watch. And so I'm kind of stuck yeah. in the middle going, I'm not, I don't, I don't have strong feelings about either of these seasons. I, I would yeah. like to have strong feelings about the Vikings, but I, that's not safe. I'm not going to do that. I would like to have strong feelings about the Timberwolves, but they're not giving me any reason to. So yeah. I'm just sort of like, and maybe that's a good thing because there's enough other stuff going on in life that I, you know, I don't need to rearrange life <laughs> yeah. for either of these things right now. But I'm I'm keeping an yeah. eye on both. I'm intrigued by the NBA season. There are some there are some uh, <clears throat> some surprising. It, it feels like a, the first year in a while where like anybody could win. There's, you know, 10, yeah, 10 totally. different potential title contenders uh, instead of two, yeah. two to four. So it's it's definitely interesting. It is, and the the LeBron James thing is kind of winding down, um, which I'm I'm ready for, and uh, it's it's been fun to like hear some other players talked about and other storylines develop, and uh, yeah, that Rudy Gobert trade is sort of turning out to be like the Russell Wilson trade of the NBA um, in terms of how disastrous it looks so far, but um, yeah, fun season. Um, you shared something with me via text 
And that is that you've really gotten into the World Cup. And my relationship with the World Cup is my football players at Lane talk about mm-hmm. it. So I'm I'm with the special teams guys. So like those guys talk about it. They watch it. Um, I've never been able to watch it. I've never cared about it. Um, I find soccer really hard to watch. I know that's very uh, antithetical to like the white hipster part of my personality. You're supposed <laughs> to like soccer, but um, wh- how did this happen for you? Like, because you don't strike me as like a traditionally soccer watching white hipster kind of dude. No, I'm not. And uh, so uh, th- there's been iterations of my soccer uh, fandom over my lifetime. So I I grew up in a family that was. Uh, you know, this was before like anybody in America cared about the Premier League and all that. But like we were a soccer family yeah. in terms of my, my older brothers played it. We were at tournaments every week and I played it up into middle school. Um, yeah. So like familiarity with the game, the, the, the like, I'm not, I don't, I don't know the intricacies of soccer super well, but I know how the game should work. Uh, I know, yeah. you know, I recognize good players and good plays and all these things. And, uh, and so, and then I used to watch it with my, you know, when the World Cup was on, I would watch it with my brothers or my dad. It was just sort of a thing. Um, we had, you know, we had a lot of friends from around the world, missionaries or, or, uh, people who had immigrated to the United States. So there was always interest in the international competitions. And then I got into like high school all the way up through, I'd say my mid to late twenties. And I was like, soccer's a sissy sport. Um, that was yeah. my soccer is a sissy sport era. You know, everybody's flopping. Everybody's the worst. It's what, it's what people do who can't, aren't good enough to play other real sports. And yeah. somehow in the last few years, I just sort of lost my vitriol for it. And yeah. I, I'm not, I don't, I don't watch soccer on a regular basis. Like I, I made it so a couple weeks ago, several weeks ago, the Vikings were playing in London and it was, you know, so 9 a.m. start time, uh, in America. And in central time. And so I made some joke about like, this is going to be a real temptation during church. And a couple friends were like, it's a temptation for us every Sunday because we're Chelsea fans or we're Arsenal fans. And I was like, I still don't know. That's fast. I still don't understand that. That's a piece I don't get. I don't know how you just pick a random English team from a city you've never been to. Like, I can understand if you've been over there and somebody was like, let's go to a Man U game and you go and you're like, oh, I'm hooked. Okay, cool. Yeah. But just arbitrarily picking a team. I don't know how that works, but the world cup this year, it it was a perfect conglomeration of, I was, I was in the midst of wrapping up all of my seminary work. So I'm basically working from home, reading, writing, whatever. Soccer Mm -hmm. is a, it's a high intensity sport, sort of, but also very mellow for good chunks of the game. There are no commercial breaks. It's just sort of, it's just sort of on. And so I was like, well, yeah. like, I'm going to, I'm going to watch this. So I watched the first U.S. World Cup match, um, against Wales. And I was just like, you know what? This was a really enjoyable experience, especially like 1.30 in the afternoon on a Tuesday or whatever it was that I was supposed to be, you know, I was in the middle of other things. And so I, I'm not into it in the sense that I'm scheduling my life around watching all of the matches. You know, like I missed, yeah. I missed, uh, at, at the time of this recording, yesterday's where Argentina played, um, who was it? Croatia, Messi's, you know, final, you know, his trip to the, to the World Cup finals, et cetera. So yeah. I missed that one, but I'm just, I'm just, I've enjoyed it a lot more than I thought. So it's not so much 
massive soccer fandom as just, yeah. Oh, this is a really enjoyable sporting experience that maybe I've matured into like, oh, I can allow myself to like this instead of being like, Oh, that's, that's for hipsters and other people. And just being like, okay, this is, this is cool. Yeah. I've also realized typical, like, typical Americans, you know how during the Olympics, Nobody ever watches these sports, but every four years, everybody becomes an expert on like <clears throat> backstroke technique and, totally. and judging triple sow cows and whatever else. Um, yeah, that's soccer as well. Where all of a sudden yeah. people who are like, they don't watch soccer. You know, they don't watch soccer. They never talk about soccer. All of a sudden they're like, they're talking about kits and pitches and through balls and, you know, yeah. all of these things. And you're like, you, you sound you sound like you're trying on someone else's language. That's what you sound yeah, like. Yeah, it's like when a it's like when a toddler learns a new word and then he just uses it incessantly, <laughs> except in this case the toddler is a forty four year old white man. Right. Um <laughs> No, it's 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 kind of great to see every every how how often do they do the World Cup? Four years? It's every four years, yeah. Yeah, every four years, like which which dude in your life like kind of leans into the soccer thing and leans into it as a persona thing. So I, I have questions about the presentation of the games that I'll get to in a minute. But um, my, my first question is, has Ronnie done the performative I like soccer thing? Because that seems like it would be both like in the ether for him, but also in a weird way, like too mainstream for him to lean into. Yeah, um, I, I feel like he... What's he done with it? I feel like he would be more along the lines of still in the sports ball. Uh, crowd yeah, yeah. so yep. still more along the lines of you know what's what's this cup everybody's talking about what do you drink out of it kind of thing yeah that yeah yeah, yeah. i feel like that would be his joke but thus far as yeah. far as i i mean at least what i've observed i don't stalk his his social media presence uh, i haven't seen him make any comments about it interesting so you mentioned they have no commercials on the telecast uh, that's wild to me. I literally haven't watched soccer since I was adopting my first kid from Ukraine in like two, 2004. Um, I, wa I watched some soccer then, but, uh, so they've got this long sort of nobody, nobody understands how the time works in soccer. <laughs> well, um, you do, you do in the, yeah, you, you do in the, I think in the first half, I don't think they do stop. Maybe they yeah. do stoppage time in the first half. Stoppage time is the weirdest thing to me, but yes. Yeah. It's bizarre. Like I, I would really struggle with like not knowing when it was over, which is a thing that I find charming about baseball. Like baseball could go theoretically forever. Yeah. Um, and I, and I don't have a problem with that. In fact, I find it kind of charming, but I find the opposite thing to be true in watching soccer, which is like, this could go forever. This, this is annoying. I need some boundaries here. Um, and so they don't cut away for commercials. How do they make money? Um, is it just like this entire match is brought to you by, you know, Nissan or whatever? Yeah, it's, well, I'm, I'm, yeah, there, I mean, there, there are a lot, you know, ads during, during halftime, there's sponsorships. It's, uh, it isn't, it is an odd one because I, well, all of the uniforms, you know, for all the club teams there, those are all yeah. sponsored teams, you know? So it's like, right whatever team has like fly Emirates on it and these kinds of things. Yeah. I don't actually know the economics of soccer, except that I know the economics are way bigger than a lot of other sports. Like when people, so yeah. 
Yesterday, Carlos Correa signed with the San Francisco Giants for 13 years and $350 million. You know, one of the largest wow. contracts in Major League Baseball history. Yeah. You go look at like what Cristiano Ronaldo makes annually with whatever club he's about to alienate himself from. Uh, and, <laughs> and it, like, it makes baseball contracts look cute. You know, makes football contracts. Kirk Cousins, you know, master businessman has figured out how to, you know, make all this guaranteed money. Like Lionel Messi was wants to pat him on the head, be like, Oh, you're so cute, Kirk. You and your you and your pennies. There there is money there that is unlike anything else. And so that might just be because it's a billionaire's hobby. Or yeah. or I don't know what all. I because because they're you know, NFL games are are defined by commercials. It's like, we're going to do kickoff. Then yeah. we're going to go to commercial. Then we're going to come back and run four plays. And then there's a punt. Then we're going to go to commercial. And it, it's just yeah, sort of totally. this rhythm, which allows yeah. for a lot of beer drinking. I don't know how mm -hmm. soccer, like they must get drunk and just be drunk enough to make it through the game. Cause you can't leave the game to go get more drinks during it. Uh, yeah. because you'll, that's the, that's the, the, the scoring that will happen. The, the one seven minute stretch you went and got more beer. So yeah, I don't totally understand the economics. Dude, it's fascinating to how like kind of in mass once every four years, we all decide that something matters. You know what I mean? And, and the Olympics are sort of, um, you know, exhibit A of this where like, yeah, the backstroke or curling or a thing that you don't care about at all. You're like carving out time in the day to watch it. You know, what happens in the World Cup will not stay with you. You know what I mean? Like you're you're primarily a Minnesota fan. And if the Vikings do the typical Vikings thing and get to the NFC championship game and blow it somehow, like that'll stay with you. You'll be bummed for a couple days over that. But like what happens in the World Cup, I'm guessing will be over for you 15 minutes after it's over, if not sooner. Um, I mean, it's, and it's yet, functionally over for me now because what I was doing was watching yeah. the U.S. team and I'm interested in what else I'm keeping track of it. I will probably, uh, assuming my schedule allows it, make time to watch yeah. the final uh, because yeah. because that, I mean, there is something to be said for paying attention to what matters to like three billion people. So, yeah. you know, I'll pay attention to it, but I will have no yeah. Emotional investment. So last Saturday, I watched I watched the uh, the England versus France um, match, and see there you go. It's match. It's not game. Um, yeah. And and I you know it was exciting. It was close. You know in, it, it, it was there was a lot of like tense back and forth. Two very good teams playing at a high level. And, you know, and then the game ended and like I didn't have any sense of like, oh, that was heartbreaking or oh, that was whatever. It was more just like, man, that was fun. That was a fun, exhilarating yeah. com competition. That's kind of how I'm at with it. So, like, yeah, no, no emotional investment. Even when the U.S. got eliminated, I was just sort of like, well, yeah, that was bound to happen. But it was fun to watch them yeah. play. Dude, would you say. And this is interesting because this question is kind of universal. Would you say that no emotional investment, but a good time is the best sports experience that you can have? Because the other options are, I'm emotionally invested for some reason and my side loses, which sucks. Or I'm emotionally invested and my side wins 
but then I sort of feel sheepish for how much I cared about it. Um, I think not being emotionally invested, but just sort of having a surprisingly great experience with sports is the best sports thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, across the board, that is true because the thing about emotional investment is it, at least for me, it can only be done so often, you know, yeah. like, because it's a high risk endeavor It's high risk to, uh, to care deeply about a team week in and week out and then have like your, yeah, your mood and, and your, your entire kind of vibe rest on them. Yeah. So like, even with the Vikings, I've more or less gotten to the point where I'm, I enjoy if they win. I expect them to lose. So there's a lot that the range is basically like, ah, oh, bummer to, oh, that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. Very rarely yeah, you, is it like leaping out of my seat, screaming either out of outrage or joy, because I, I sort of just need to protect my own uh, psychology and emotional health. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you've kind of got a, and this is a good middle-aged man thing, right? Because hopefully by 45 or whatever, you've learned how to govern your emotions to some degree. Um, yeah, and it's good to do that with things that don't matter. Pipe, let's take another quick break, and then I'm, I want to tell you about a thing in this vein, like a sports experience that I had that, that was kind of perfect. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. All right, Pipe, we're back. Um, I want to talk about a fight that I watched like a week or two ago, and I know you're not a big fight guy, but uh, there's this heavyweight, Tyson Fury. Mm -hmm. um, he's the 6'9", British dude, uh, total dad bod. He's got like one of the worst pro athlete bodies I've ever seen. Uh, but he's a tremendously effective boxer. He's really hard to hit. Uh, he's great defensively. He's got a little bit of power and he holds at least one of the heavyweight titles right now. Real and, quick, uh, is, I've kind of enjoyed Is that his real name? It is. Yeah, I, b I believe so. Okay. That's and awesome. somebody's going to well actually me on this, I'm sure. But I, I think it's his real name. Uh, his dad was a pro fighter in England, like, I don't know, 25 years ago or whatever. And, um, yeah, he's, he's really kind of naturally charismatic. You know how all boxers now try to do the like fake Ali charismatic thing. Um, with Tyson Fury, like it's, it's sort of natural for him to be in front of people. He's a showman. He's a performer. He always like grabs the microphone and sings after the fights. Anyway, I've enjoyed watching him, and I realized on a Saturday morning, it was like the last Saturday morning of college football that mattered, and I was kind of like, eh, I'm kind of bored with this now. I'm kind of out on college football, and I realized he was fighting on ESPN+, Plus, which I get, and he was fighting on a non-pay-per-view card because the guy that he was fighting had 13 losses, and it was basically just like a stay-warm fight for him. Um, but the 13, the 13 lost guy that he fought was this guy named Derek Chisora, also British. And those two are like best buds. Like they're really close. And this was basically Tyson Fury just giving his friend a payday. And I was like, oh, I'll watch that, but I'm sure the fight's going to suck, whatever. So I flip it on and they're fighting outside in a soccer stadium, one of these massive like England soccer stadiums yeah. that seats like a hundred thousand people. And it was cold and the stadium was full. And 
they fought and they they both fought really hard. Like Chisora took him ten rounds and just taking shots. You know, he kept coming forward, never got knocked down. It was a really great action fight. But then at the end of it, these two guys like totally appreciated each other. You know what I mean? And the and it occurred to me that like the competitive vibe was absolutely perfect. There was none of the vitriol, none of the fake vitriol, none of the like disrespect that's sort of part and parcel now with almost every sporting event. Um, and in fact, afterward, they like cut to the shot of them backstage or whatever, and they were eating Five Guys burgers together. <laughs> and it was just kind of Got to maintain that figure. Exactly. Got to maintain that dad bod. But I don't know. I, I came away from it. And of course, like my wife knows that I overthink these things and that I enjoy overthinking them. But I, I was trying to wax philosophical with her about what a perfect, like, you know, sporting experience it was to watch that fight. But um, I, I don't even know what I'm asking here with this other than to share that and to say that it was great. But it it's like things like that are few and far between. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, even so. So, you know, let's go back to the World Cup as sort of a comparison. Yeah. Americans are terrible at at letting a competition be a competition. So, you know, at one point the US is going to play England. And like it's all revolutionary war references. Oh my gosh, is, yeah. You know, and then and then it turns into World War 2 jokes. Cuz you know like, well wait, we were allies then and like we blah blah blah. What we can agree on is that we hate Germany and you're like that's geopolitical stuff from 100 years ago. Those are these are, exactly. are different realities. Um yeah. And you know, and they're, they're funny enough. Like there's there's some cleverness there, yeah. but but it's um there is something to be said for like we're just we're not good at at appreciating the competitive drive, the sort of professional competitiveness. Like I just I think about like let's take it back to the NBA. I think about like when Tim Duncan played. Mm-hmm. Tim Duncan was one of the most competitive people to ever grace an NBA floor. Yeah. But it, it, it showed itself in two ways. One was the way that he interacted with his teammates. The other was the excellence and the sort of like quiet ferocity with which he played. Whereas you get somebody else like Kevin Garnett was always trying to find personal reasons to be mad at the other team. Yeah. Which is just sort of exhausting. After I love KG, he's my favorite basketball player. Mm-hmm. But like, and, and so what you're mm-hmm. describing, where it's just sort of there's a a perfect competitiveness without vitriol, but the it, it exhibits itself with the intensity of the competition, yeah. and then and then the intensity is left on the playing field or in the ring or on the court. That that seems to be largely gone because everything needs to be dramatized everything is now soap opera wwf wwe i don't even know which one it is right now um sort of like we need a backstory and it's like why it's two guys trying to win that's a whole story exactly yes yeah we don't need a backstory we don't need to lean on like you know revolutionary war references i mean it's it's really fundamentally ridiculous and even kg who i also was fond of like i i really enjoyed kevin garnett's career but yeah like if if you take that idea and you think about it in the cold hard light of day it's one of the dumbest things a person can do right like to manufacture this beef with somebody who at face value 
probably has more in common with you than almost any other person there is. Um, and actually, I, it was one of the more enjoyable things about writing Facing Tyson was traveling around and realizing that all these guys who fought Tyson like actually really liked him. Um, and it was obvious why, right? Like they all kind of had the same upbringing. They all, you know, fought for a living and they all were good at it and they had all this stuff in common. So it's like at the end of the day, it would, and, and they acknowledged this, right? They were like, it would be stupid for us to hate this person. Um, and because of him, we got the biggest paydays that we ever had in our lives. And it was sort of like, yeah, that makes sense. Even though you were like trying to hit each other, there was actually some <laughs> affection there. And yet to your point, yeah, every sporting event, everything has to be this like, well, Tennessee's playing Alabama and F Alabama, they're the worst. Or wait, no, F Tennessee, they're the worst. And it's just like, it, they're not. Like, that's that's a really stupid mentality. And to make it... And like fans... Yeah. To make it even ahead. funnier, it's like, you know, you get... So, you know, I, I'm i an, I'm an NFC North watcher, you know, Vikings fan. And like these two yeah. teams really don't like each other. And you think about it, you're like, 97% of the players on this team weren't here two years ago. Exactly. Or they just, like, do, do, do guys who wear purple inherently hate guys who wear green and gold? It's... Yeah. It's a, it is an odd thing. Cause I mean, first of all, it's, it's the fans who have the vitriol, you know, yeah. and maybe the players sort of psych themselves into it. But like when Tennessee plays Alabama, uh, Tennessee fans hate Alabama. Alabama fans do not care about Tennessee because up until this right. year, it was not competitive and, and so forth. Right. And, uh, it, the fans have attached themselves to this thing, but the players, I think largely, I think the players, if you if you could like give them truth serum, they would rather focus on excellence and compete. A few of the psychotic ones need to be angry to play well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most of them need to have like what they're competing against is the fear of losing. Yeah. Which is which there's is, a fear of getting yelled at in films yeah. on Monday or what whatever motivates you. Um. Th- yeah. You typically don't need the the added motivation of, oh, I hate this team or I hate this person or, you know, really the only time that's present is if you've played the person before and they were an a-hole. And if that's the case, then you you do probably get some juice from that. But yeah, I think most athletes would prefer to just compete and have all the ancillary people in their lives, everybody from the coach to the, you know, the fans or whoever, just keep it in perspective. But that ship has sailed so long ago. Um, it's strange. It's strange when you see it, which is why the Tyson Fury thing was so interesting to me. It was like, oh, wait a minute. These guys actually have perspective. And I don't know. I was drawn to it um, in in ways that, yeah, you just don't see it. Yeah. And you don't even see it from Christian athletes, Christian parents. Forget it. I've I've never met anyone in sports with perspective so um it's it's a rare thing to find it out there in the wild yeah i don't perspective looks like you don't care at this point so like you yeah. know when it's a tough sell tr- so like when my, my older daughter was a swimmer for several years this year she stepped back from it because it had reached the point where swimming was either going to be in her the entirety of her life or she was just going to be run away from by, by, by the super competitive kids. And, you know, so it was like, it was kind of breaking her down. So she, she stepped away from it to enjoy all of the rest of life. 
which to me looks like a decision made by somebody with perspective. And she had to deal with people on her former team calling her a quitter. Um, not yeah. a ton, you know, when they were like bullying or, yeah. or anything like that, but there was one or two kids she knew yeah. who were like, you're a quitter. And she was like, she basically was like, dad, am I a quitter? And I was like, no, mm. you, you, you stopped doing something because you weighed the costs and the benefits. And you said this, this is no longer healthy. I was like, that's, yeah, that's, that's how you make good decisions. Like some decisions you might regret. I said, but the other thing, as we were talking about it, I said, Grace, on, I said, every athlete stops playing their sport at some point. Yep. You know, even even Tom Brady is going to stop at some point, you know, yeah, probably probably after this year. Um, yeah, I said, but most of us stop around your age, 17, 18 years old. Yeah. It's the end of our sports career. Some people play into yeah. college and that's the end of their sports career. Like you, the number gets smaller and smaller. I said, so you're making a decision now to invest in other parts of life just a year earlier than some people are forced to. And, yeah. you know, she's 17 at, or 16 at the time. She didn't have that perspective. But but that's but that's the dichotomy is like a level headed decision trying to look at the goodness and badness of something. Is it worth it? Is it not? Versus being called a quitter. Because there's identity wrapped up in it. There's psychotic competitiveness. There's like, we have to, we have to find something to be angry about. It's a weird, it's yeah. a super weird thing. And that's in a, like, I would say that's in sort of just a niche backwater sport. It's worse when you're at the, like the publicized sports with big, mm. like football, basketball, et cetera, because, because more people are more interested and pay more attention. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And you mentioned Brady. It's like, Brady has to be a first ballot, like no perspective Hall of Famer. I'm thinking, right? He just, and and he just yet, punt, I mean, we don't know the whole story, but he just punted his marriage to play football to to play one terrible season under a terrible coach uh, for a team that's given up, you know. And and it's like, yeah, it's easy for easy for me to sit here and shoot holes in it. And to your point, we don't know the whole story, but yes, it it seems to be that he has punted his marriage for one more season of football and, and I love football and I love playing football, but yeah, that's just tough. I mean, it's tough to see it. And, and yet we make, we make heroes out of these guys and more specifically, we make heroes out of that mentality, right? Like we, we make heroes out of the, well, Brady's all ball, you know, and, and nobody outworks him and nobody watches more film and, you know, he sleeps on a cot in the facility and, and, you know, the narratives around these things kind of become bigger than life and the, and the whole Jordan hyper competitive thing that's been written and talked about ad nauseum. It's, it's sort of, it's done in these sort of reverential terms. And yet your conversation with your daughter conversations that I've tried to have with my boys, you know, we're trying to hit this balance of if you're going to play, you need to do your best, but it's okay if you don't play. Like, it's just okay if you <laughs> yeah. decide you want to do something else. That's totally fine. Well, I mean, you know, two, two thoughts. One is all of this resonates with the first conversation we had on the show about a kind of respecting and remembering Mike Leach. Yeah. Because he, he, he was not an all ball guy. He right. was a human being who had interest and cared about people. And he, you know, he just kind of, mm -hmm. he, he thought about things from so many different perspectives and maybe that's why he was never a national champion coach and why he, he perpetually brought mediocre to poor programs up to interesting. 
but maybe that's what yeah. he loved and he lo- you know, and yeah. he was good at it. So they just, he is a quintessential, like broke the mold, not all ball guy who's beloved for it. And, and it totally worked. The other thing is, the second thing is, you know, you're talking about if you play, do your best, but you don't have to play. Like there, when the Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. It, mm. it doesn't mean you must do everything with all your might or you have lost value. It just means like you can only do so many things, but if yeah. you're going to invest yeah. in something, do it in a way that is like you walk away with no regrets. The Lord is honored by your effort. You, you find, you find joy in the doing and in the working. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe you only do it for a year, you know? You try a sport, yeah. you you take up a hobby, and then you're like, that's not for me. That's okay. Did you did you give it what you had, or did you just sort of like dink around? Yeah. No, it's it's great. And you know, even within that continuum, I think there are different ways to do it right. And actually, my wife, who is not an athlete, doesn't care about sports, doesn't even especially like sports, she's been helpful for me in this regard, in that one of my two kids is is pretty anxious, you know, and he's he's a nervous type guy by nature. And so for him, like diving headlong into a sport is a scary thing for him. But, you know, he's played baseball and it used to kind of bother me that he wouldn't, you know, get out there and hit off a tee for an hour every night or, you know, whatever. But she was like, no, like, it's really good for him just to be with his friends and take coaching from somebody who isn't you. And she pointed out like five or six really good things about him playing baseball, even though he wasn't like a traditional grinder out there, like shagging fly balls in the moonlight or whatever. And I was like, no, you know what? You're right. Um, That's a good perspective. And it's not a zero sum game. It's not like you know, you're Tom Brady watching 40 hours a week of film or you're, or you're a loser, you know, like, um, there are different ways to do this well. And especially for a kid and we, and we all know our own kids better than anybody. Like, like the experience of him playing and being on a team was really positive. Even if he didn't quote unquote, like get everything he could out of his ability, you know? Well, and it, it, and that speaks to, like, like you said, it's not a zero sum game because is, if sports are all about maximizing talent and winning and that is all they are about, then yeah, your son did not, he did not right. give it all he could. But if sports are about learning, risk taking, relationships, overcoming fears, yeah. uh, taking on a challenge, all, you have so many different things that, that are in terms of the development they offer to a person's character and a person's uh, personality and, and all these things, then he made a great investment and probably came away with great returns because he took a step yeah. that, that took a lot of overcoming of fear. That's courage. Yeah. And, and so yeah. forth. And, 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 and was on a team with guys who he never otherwise would have interacted with. And there's always a benefit in that. And totally. I think that when, when the higher, the higher the competitive level, we, we think about that when we put kids in T-ball. Mm-hmm. Once a kid is in like little league, we've started to lose that. Once they're in high school, we've lost it. And by the time they're yeah, in college totally. or the pros, like a sport is is for two reasons only. Well, three reasons: winning, entertainment for me, the the viewer, and money. Yeah. And so yeah. it is, which means it has lost its soul. 
There is no soul yeah. in professional sports and which, which makes watching it always a little bit of an exercise in like, I, I kind of have to bind and gag part of my, part of my mind because yeah. I'm, you know, if I care and all of a sudden I'm like, these guys don't even care. They, they just, you know, right. they don't, they don't care. Like they, they go home at the end of the day. They're like, good day at work, bad day at work. And fans are yeah. like, Oh, my team lost. My week is ruined. You know, they players yeah. aren't like that and they probably shouldn't be. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And it's interesting with losing, like sometimes it's easier to stomach when you are a part of it and you can, like if you were on the field and you're playing and you did your level best and you feel like your, your team did as well, sometimes the loss is easier to take. Whereas, you know, Joe, Joe fan a thousand miles away on his sofa, like watching it on TV, like, yeah, he's way more angsty about it than the guy who played really hard for three hours and, and had, had some victories throughout the course of the game, took some L's. Um, you know, oftentimes that person can walk off the field in a better place emotionally than the guy who's like, you know, walking out of the stadium as a fan. And all of this though, strikes me as like very fascinating stuff to be in, to be in with, with our kids. Um, in that we're trying to like, set some sort of a healthy example for them as to what this looks like, not only for them now as athletes, but like in perpetuity as, as potential parents themselves. And there's not a lot of good examples of it out there. So it's, it's kind of like, I have to show them how to do this right. And for so many years, I didn't do it. You know, for so many years, I was just like every other psycho sports parent and, uh, to my shame, but I think we're doing a little better at it now. And in, we can end with this, but it occurs to me that most sports parents have a very narrow range of outcomes in terms of being proud of their kid. But I think the last couple of years with both of my boys in different competitive contexts, I've ended up being proud of them for different reasons and reasons that are like surprising and good. And like, I know the Lord is in them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Like we played, we played this Buster Bowl thing uh, again at Union, where uh, we pad up and I get to suit up with my son. And this year we played a different team, and the other team happened to be like some of the worst human beings I've ever played against in my life. They were incredibly dirty and ungracious, and and really kind of unfun to play against. And Tristan played really well; he had a really good game. And, um, the thing that I was pr proudest of him for though, is like not getting into a fight with these guys, you know what I mean? Cause it would have, yeah. it would have been so easy for him to, to lose his cool. And he could be a little bit of a hothead competitively anyway. And I was like, wow, I'm, I'm really proud that you didn't stoop, you know, that you know, like you didn't lower yourself to that level. And, um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting and kind of the Lord to keep giving us surprising ways i guess to be proud of our kids well and which you know that what i that that's indicative of two very significant things one is obviously tristan's increasing maturity you know he, mm -hmm. he's coming to this with a perspective that maybe a year or two ago he wouldn't have had where right the, the fight would have happened it would have happened he wouldn't have been able to restrain himself yeah. which i totally understand yeah um and the other is your perspective to recognize more about the game than playing well, losing the other team's interactions and sort of looking at it as the like, this is, there's a whole person 
competing here? Yeah. How did the whole person interact with it? And yeah, you know, and I'm, I'm sure like I, you didn't even say whether you won or lost, but like if they played mm-hmm. that dirty, I'm assuming that they, that they, you know, took advantage of it. Maybe they beat you guys. And like th- that yeah. wasn't, that wasn't the defining characteristic of the game, which is, yeah, that's, yeah. that's really, yeah. It's, you know, I, and I, I've seen the same thing with my kids. You know, we were talking, you were talking about being a psychotic sports dad earlier. One of the ways I think the Lord looked at me when I had kids and was like, Oh, he, this guy's a disaster waiting to happen. So I'm going to give him two girls who are interested in things that he has no interest in. Uh, yeah. That way he can't be a psycho. Like if, if right. they had played, if they had played soccer, I probably would have been a psycho because I know the game a little bit. If they had played volleyball, I probably would have been a psycho because I know the game a little bit. No swimming and dance. Two things that yeah. one, one of which isn't even competitive. It's just driven. And yeah. so I've been protected yeah. from it. But but yeah. for that reason, I have had to learn how to interact with their their drive, their competitiveness, their like pushing themselves, overcoming challenges in an entirely different way. Without, you know, I like you can't be a little league dance dad unless you have utterly lost your mind. Now, there are dance moms <laughs> yeah. out there. That's a whole other thing. But uh but. But it ha- in the same way that you're describing sort of coming around to it, I just started in that place where I'm like, well, I have to figure out how to be an encouragement and see what's good yeah. about this, even though dance mm-hmm. recitals are the worst experience on earth at Christmas time <laughs> and so forth. Yeah. And, uh, and it, yeah, it, it has been, it has been an exercise in refining me and in learning how to kind of be proud of, interact with them and not just the general, like, I'm proud of you as a person, but like, I'm proud of you for. how how you interacted and did this this challenging thing yeah definitely and um yeah it's surprising how good those moments can feel even if you don't win or even if your daughter's not the greatest dancer of all time or or whatever you know um those things are refining and it's not it's not wasted motion pipe it's nine o'clock man we've we've done what we always do here in that we've gone almost an hour Anything you want to add on sports stuff, stuff you're reading, stuff you're enjoying before we wrap the show? Um, well, on what I'm reading, uh, so I just I finished up a, a seminary semester, which means I haven't had time to do a lot of fun reading. And I'm really looking forward yeah. to I have a bookmark about halfway through the Baseball 100 by Joe Posnanski, which I think I've talked about on here before. Yeah, I've heard that. Was I'm great. very excited to get back to it and hopefully finish it between semesters. It's uh, I love Posnanski's baseball writing. He just breaks down his as he judges it, the hundred hundred best baseball players, uh, with with anecdotes and stats, and he's just he's a super creative writer who makes baseball enjoyable. So I'm excited to get back to that one. Nice, dude. I'm I'm reading a baseball book as well right now, and it's one that I picked up for two bucks at McKay's. Nice. Um, it's it's the Keith Hernandez autobiography called "I'm Keith Hernandez," which is a hat tip <laughs> to Seinfeld, his appearances right? on yeah. Seinfeld. Yeah, yeah. He had like a two episode run on Seinfeld and that, that was kind of his line. And I love a good crappy sports biography and this one probably qualifies as that, but it's, it's kind of well-written and it seems like he did it, Um, you know, and, and structurally it just seems like it's him and it's like his voice and it's kind of fun, dude. Um, He's got a little bit of like present day broadcaster stuff in there as kind of the through line, but then he, he dips back into the past and tells stories. Um, I'm having fun with it. So Keith Hernandez, if you're listening, 
and I know you are. Um, I'm enjoying your book. Kind of surprisingly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pipe, we've done what we always do on this program in that we've wandered to and fro throughout a variety of sports topics. And until next time. Thank you for listening to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. Be sure to visit thehappyrant.com to check out our merchandise, learn more about upcoming live events, and listen to past episodes. Our world can feel chaotic and uncertain, but we don't have to live enslaved to fear. Christ has promised me and you his peace, and throughout Scripture has provided powerful tools and practical steps to help us experience greater freedom. I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, inviting you to join me and my team as together we learn how to starve our fears and feed our faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com or wherever you access podcast content.